to the Disrupt Your Career podcast, brought to you by Claire Harbour and Antoine Thiel. We're passionate about helping everyone find fulfillment in their work life. We believe that big, messy, uncharted career changes are inevitable, and it's up to you to decide. Will you take control and disrupt, or allow yourself to be disrupted? We wrote the book about it, and now we share here our conversations with other thinkers in this crucial area. Settle down and get ready to listen to this dose of wisdom. So on this week's episode of the Disrupt Your Career podcast, we're welcoming Sharath Jeevan. Sharath is one of the world's leading experts on the subject of reigniting our inner drive, which is also known as intrinsic motivation. His groundbreaking book, Intrinsic, has been enthusiastically received by individuals and organizations across the world. He was awarded an OBE in the 2022 Queen's New Year's Honours for founding and leading STIR Education, which is arguably the world's largest intrinsic motivation initiative. STIR reignited the motivation of 200,000 teachers, 35,000 schools, and 7 million children in emerging countries. It's all quite staggering stuff. Sharath, welcome. What a pleasure Claire, to be on. So real, real pleasure. Good, good, good. Well, without further ado, let's get going. I'd love for you to tell us about your own career journey. Tell us a little about how you started out, what sort of convictions and beliefs you've had, and how you've made your major decision, decisions and changes along the way. So I think I'd, I'd describe probably the first 12 years of my career, roughly, I guess, maybe up to the point I got married, perhaps there's some correlation there as being very extrinsically driven. I'm the son of Indian parents to the UK, um, immigrants, so I should say. And there was a lot of pressure, I think, to, to, to really find that ladder of stability and safety, I think, as well. And that made complete sense because they, um, they were doctors, they're highly educated, but uh, when they came to the UK, they worked in the British NHS, the National Health System. There were a number of glass ceilings at that time, uh, honestly, as well. And so for them, the priority for us was to find First, they settle in a new country, feel like they've, they've sort of made it in a way, just as many immigrants do. And so um, the fact I, I didn't want to be a doctor um, itself was a huge sort of um, scandal in the family. But beyond that, once that, uh, yeah, but, uh, uh, getting into Cambridge more uh, just about sort of redeemed me. But then, um, <laughs> and so I felt a lot of uh, pressure just to, to go through and that, that sort of um, a treadmill of success, I think let's call it that. So I went into consulting, um, like many people from my year, and explored life in the corporate world quite a bit. I think I'd really enjoyed those experiences and I learned a lot. I had very, very good mentors and a very strong development nurturing culture. We'll talk more about that. But um, I, I, I was, you know, having been born in India, I spent quite a bit of time traveling there over summers and spending time with my grandparents there. That sense of social purpose is quite deep in me. And in the consulting work, I always felt like I was helping large companies get bigger or Rich people in some form get richer. I didn't feel hugely motivated by that conviction. I had toyed with the idea of working in development. I was very interested in studying economics to look at making a difference to emerging countries, developing countries. Wasn't quite sure how. Perhaps part of me would have wanted to work for the World Bank or something after university, but I, I chose a more perhaps conventional path in some regards. So I think um, what happened along the way is I, I took some detours and I spent a year, for example, on a sabbatical for my first consulting gig to work for the CEO of ActionAid. Really enjoyed that experience, enjoyed the world of development, but realized it was quite a, a large organization at the end of the day. And I, I wanted a faster growing culture. 
I tried um, an entrepreneurial stint like most people are on the dot-com era as well. I ran an early version of Facebook and LinkedIn, if you like. It didn't work as, you know, as I probably wouldn't be here otherwise. But, um, but, but I think those kind of having, I think, a, a different set of experiences early in my career, maybe those first five to 10 years, it was really powerful, I think, to see different things and try different things and get a different sense of what was out there. But I also um, knew that I hadn't quite found what I wanted, if that makes sense, that early, that first chapter. Yeah, and I, and I think what probably happened um, along the way was just that sense of wanting to get more courageous and bolder. And I, for me, I took a role at eBay um, after INSEAD, where we both went, of course. And it was an interesting role because it was sort of, a, I put it like a one foot in, one foot out role in the, in the nonprofit sector. I was helping build an internal venture within eBay and found it where we were creating a platform where you could buy and sell for, for charities around the world. You could sell your iPad and give 20% of the Red Cross or the hospice around, around the corner from you. And that was an interesting experience because I was in a kind of safer corporate environment that I was probably used to. It didn't freak myself and everyone out. At the same time, I was trying to work with the people I really wanted to work in. And I think that that experience, I it just gave me that confidence to take the full plunge. And then I went off to found two education organizations, one in the UK and then one in developing countries. So I'd say probably that you know the, a very cautious start, I think, feeling my way, trying different things. Pretty sure what I was doing then wasn't what I wanted to redo really long term, but I would find a way of getting there. And then the last, I'd say, 15 years have been actually doing things that I really want to do. And enjoying it. So I've worked for about 25 years, so 10 years of searching, exploring, um, and maybe 15 years of actually doing the core of what I want to do. I asked myself whether I could have started this, started earlier maybe, and started off that. But part of me also values that that, that first 10 years of exploration and, and trying different things as well. Yeah, the exploring and experimenting really are much lower risk to do at the beginning of a career as well, aren't they? I mean, maybe maybe you didn't set out thinking, gosh, I'm going to spend 10 years exploring and experimenting. But mm. in practice, that's what you did. And I think it's, it, it's even interesting to reflect on whether that was cautious, as you just described it, or whether in fact it was confident and bold, because what you ended up doing was, was actually engaging in some careers that didn't suit you and so often it's the it's the elimination of what doesn't suit that allows us to find what really does give us purpose and and motivation and maybe that was a a blind search from the outset but you certainly model it very well no i think it's a really powerful point claire the idea of elimination i hadn't thought about it quite like that but actually that's yeah it's very hard to know what you didn't want to do but i think what was great is that empathy so I realized I didn't want to work in government. I took some, I spent some time in the civil service in the UK, mm. but I, I enjoyed working with government. And I also learned about what it feels like to be a, a senior government official and could step into their shoes. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't want to work in a big international NGO, but I knew what it was like, what it felt like, what a day in, in the life was like, what the culture mm. was like. Mm. And so what I do now, I, I work on issues around motivation, as you said at the beginning, I work with all these different kinds of groups. I love that mix of partners and clients. I don't think I could have done that without having gone through a little bit of what they go through each day and understanding the world from their eyes in some ways. Totally. Let's go and talk about your book. 
But before we go right into the book, I'd love to talk a bit about the, the notion of intrinsic motivation, our inner drive. Perhaps you could tell us what you see as being the main trends around thinking in this area and how you think we can link it to the way each of us thinks about our own careers. Hmm. So I think one of the, the key differences between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, as I talk about in the book, um, Claire, is is what are we doing something for? It's not what are, what are we doing, it's what, what are we doing it for? Mm. So if we can do something because it is inherently important, pleasurable, rewarding, fulfilling in its own right, that's intrinsic. Mm-hmm. Or we can do it because something else is promised at the end, either a, a reward at the one end, or it could be a sanction or punishment at the other side of it. And what we're learning more and more is that we need a mix of both. It's a bit like cholesterol but a bit like good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, the more we can have a better mix of intrinsic motivation, we're more likely to stay the course on what we're doing, go deeper, and in, in the process, be more successful and more fulfilled. So it's a bit of a win-win if we can achieve it. It's in terms of the, the pillars of it, I, we think a lot about the ideas of purpose, um, the sense of how what we do helps and serves others. Autonomy, are, are we at the wheel of our lives? And mastery, are we getting better and becoming the best versions of ourselves we can be? Those are the key pillars of intrinsic motivation. So a lot of what I talk, explore in the book is what would that mean to take that approach and look at careers in a new light? How could we reset our very, very traditional career thinking and take that intrinsic lens? What would we do differently as, as a result? That's one of the key kind of big ideas the book tries to explore. Well, the book was published Last year? I'm now wondering if it wasn't actually the year before, but I think it was last year, wasn't it? End of last year, yeah, just a few months ago. Yeah. So it's all the new paperback has come out. So, so what I'd love to know as a, as a fellow author is why you wrote it, what the need was, and what sort of impact it's been having. I think for me, uh, certainly I, I felt this, and I think the pandemic really accelerated it um, by that sense that, you know, we, we're all living life, but we're often asking, what are we living it for? And I really had very deep questions about my life, my working life. You know, I was spending all the time traveling. I was having deep questions about my parenting. My kids were getting older. Was I being the right parent? Was I being the right spouse to my wife? You know, she was going through a big transition, both work and life. And I wasn't sure I was being that great as a, as a husband. And I was frustrated by myself as a citizen, not feeling I was engaging in the important issues of our time. And you know, today, this is the obviously a day where, you know, Ukraine has been invaded uh, you know, huge things happening around us from climate change to inequality to, you know, outright sovereignty issues now. Mm. Um, and I, I wasn't feeling I was really engaging enough as a citizen as well. So the question I, I asked myself, and I, I believe all of us should ask themselves, you know, why am I writing that? How, how, is, how is this important to me? I wanted to be a more engaged and motivated person in the world in all these domains and figure out what it meant to live a life worth living using that, 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 that motivation lens on things. Yeah, so that was, it was a very personal journey, but mm. I think in the process, spoke to hundreds of people, read hundreds of research studies and books, and, and just had an amazing journey. I didn't know what I was going to come up with at the end. It was very much an exploratory uh, journey. My publisher was great to allow me that space to do it, but um, I really learned so much of the process, and I changed myself and many of my, my own views of life through the process as well. Beautiful. I remember doing a little interview with you way back. So it was a long process. I can absolutely vouch for that. Um, Good. Now, in the book, you talk about falling back in love with our lives, which is a beautiful image, and creating the lives that we want. Can you share some of the main ideas of the book with our audience just beyond 
you know, that of explaining what inner motivation is. So I think if I look at the world of work, for example, there's data from Gallup that says that 85% of us are either actively demotivated or highly demotivated at work right now around Mm. the world. Mm -mm. The pandemic has caused even more pressure. And so that idea that, um, you know, work is such an important um, way that we help and serve others, as I argue in the book, most of us don't feel we're achieving that. How can we have more meaningful and purposeful work in what we do? That's one of the key key areas to, to, to explore, the key ideas. It also takes a similar lens to our relationships, our parenting, our careers, we'll come on to that in a second, and our lives as citizens, and says, what would that that look like? So um, for work, for example, the idea being that we've often focused much more on extrinsic factors like job titles, pay, how fancy our offices are, mm-hmm. instead of things that more deeply drive us in terms of purpose, autonomy, mastery. How can we reset the motivational dial at work so that those internal or intrinsic drivers become the core of why we do it and how we we show up as employees and employers too. That's one of the ideas, for example. Mm. And that, I mean, that really brings on the question about about how organisations should be responding to this kind of shift in thinking. If we all are indeed going to do the work and and uh, and reflect more deeply on who we are and what we believe in and what's important and all those kinds of things, then as we've seen from external things like the Great Resignation, you know, organisations have got some rethinking to do. They've got some responding to do to to what's going on. And if your book carries the energy with it that it deserves, then they're going to need to adapt. So. What are the implications? What do you think leaders of organizations should be doing to adapt? Yeah, so I think at the core, we need to shift our mental models around careers, Claire, the core of it, I think. And there's a core um, set of beliefs on success that I think are at the culprit. I think we often think of success as zero sum. You know, I need to succeed at someone else's expense. I think we tend to think of success also as very rugged, individual Clint Eastwood style. You know, I'm going to be a lone ranger that achieves this. We're actually... A lot of modern success is about achieving and nurturing through other people and achieving, helping them be successful. And I think we also have been sort of quite um, compartmentalized in terms of thinking about work and our careers as separate from our personal lives as well. So I think what employees can do is to think about how they move from being what I call in the book a talent management organization. So if you talk to many HR departments or CEOs today, their view of their workforce is we're going to hire the best people we can, subject to the pay we can afford and all that sort of stuff. We're going to then, you know, set some targets for them, some objectives, some KPIs, and have some middle management that tries to make sure these things kind of work. And then we're going to finally um, measure the outcomes, correct things uh, accordingly, whether that's you know bonuses on the one hand or asking people to leave on the other on the other extreme. Mm-hmm. That talent management approach, I think, has worked for a number of decades reasonably well. I don't think it's very fit for purpose for the world we are in now, where there are huge questions coming up around diversity of talent, around this idea that everyone really has a a chance to contribute. They have a purpose and they could be very powerful and useful additions to the workforce. How do employees move from that talent management mindset where they, they become real nurturers of people? And I define nurturers in the book as there's really people who help others get to places they wouldn't have got to otherwise. So they mm. help people get to places they wouldn't have got to otherwise. And it's not often about the technical aspects. It's not about the KPIs or about those. It's about things that are about, are you basically helping the employee stay in love with their job? 
mm. and reminding them why they do what they do? Are you helping them see new connections? Are you giving them a sense of ownership to, to drive things? Are you helping them improve, not just in the technical aspects of their job, but also in the, the broader essential, um, human skills around you know, collaboration, communication, curiosity, critical thinking, et cetera. So I think it takes a, a different mindset for employers now. And you know, traditionally what would happen is I think employees would look at their workforce and they look at basically cream skin, right? They'd take you know, 5% of the workforce and put them on some leadership development program. And they were the future talent of the company or the organization. I think we need to now see it very much more as every employee has got talent and capability. It's our job as employees to unlock that talent. And clearly the employee also has got to be part of it. It's a two-way street, but how do we rethink these are these core assumptions around success, talent and motivation is, is the core idea of the book. So this definitely raises that important question for early career people. What sort of message would you want to be giving those who are graduating now or getting ready to enter the workplace? Yeah, I think the key thing is to actually think about your, your boss, Claire, I think. So often we think about our own careers and our own development. I would encourage young entrants to the workforce and new entrants to the workforce to think about how do you nurture your, your, your manager in some ways? Because you come in with a, with a freshness, a different way of thinking and, and being and so on as well. So how can you help your, your manager see the world differently? And how can you help them be successful? And if you can help them do that, then you will be successful as a result of that, mm. that piece. So I think it's taking away that more self-obsessed version, which we all tend to gravitate to as human beings, but thinking, look, who, who are the people I'm really supporting in this role? And I define purpose, remember, as how what we do helps and serves others. Of course, you're helping customers, clients, beneficiaries, whatever, but you're also helping your managers and your leaders. So how can you help them be the best leaders they can be? What does that mean to be a good manager, actually, in terms of you know, being reliable, being clear, working well, understanding the styles of your boss, communicating where things are not going well, creating that really strong, um, that sense, strong circle of trust between you and your manager. And I think often we, we've let it almost slip the other way where everything is seen as the manager's responsibility. Mm. And I think in a way, resetting that and flipping that on its head, I think is a very powerful career uh, strategy, I think certainly for, for success, but also for us feeling more fulfilled and motivated and empowered mm. in what we do, especially early in our careers. That's beautiful. I love the idea of uh, of giving the responsibility to the younger, even if it's not typically always the case, but typically younger person, because it allows them to focus on a different kind of power. So instead of getting, dare I say it, too hoity-toity about, I won't send an email after five o'clock, they, they get to feel that they're contributing actively instead of talking about what they won't do. So the boundaries become expansive rather than reductive. Yeah. And that's beautiful. No, thanks. Let's pick up on that work life because I know certainly for this generation, I think there's a much more important value on the work life balance. When I was in consulting in my 20s, you know, basically the deal was, you know, client said jump and you said, you asked how high already. That was the sort of, yes. <laughs> that was the motivational deal, I think, pretty much at that time. And it's good we moved from that, right? That was not a very healthy environment and we, families suffered, you know, we know all kinds of collateral damage. So yeah. I think it's great that we're moving in that direction. But let's say that you want to have that work life balance. Mm. Your boss also, is also a manager, is also a human being who probably also mm. wants a similar work. So could you discuss, look, um, we don't like to have, you know, have this, but maybe every second day I'll monitor emails after six. I'll just drop you a note if anything urgent comes up, we'll, we'll agree to not to respond to the next morning. 
or you know something if it's really urgent absolutely please just give me a call on the weekend but i won't check my emails but just call me directly if you want and we'll i'll directly ask you know yes jump on it so we can fix it so a lot of it's just about dialogue and expectations the manager they we want our employees to feel fulfilled and have a balanced life it's just that modern work is is a pretty all encompassing thing sometimes so how can we get a good dialogue between us to to get that to work in a good way definitely i'd love to talk a little bit about your your earlier project stir education which works also around the ideas of igniting motivation so if you wouldn't mind tell tell us all about it and outline some of the best results you've had across the 7 million children's lives you've touched yeah so as you said i think a lot of this was also um about how do we change the culture of an education system mm. uh, i have parents this is something i'm very acutely thinking about and you know school systems in places like india or in africa or indonesia where i worked they were largely about getting kids to do rote learning mm. and pass exams on paper that had almost no meaning in, in real life so part of this was you know it's very difficult to motivate teachers if that's the the construct the mental model because what they they know what they're doing really is just basically re, you know helping kids regurgitate information that question of deeper learning and really deep engagement can only come if kids themselves love learning and are curious and see themselves as lifelong learners and and teachers too they also are lifelong professionals and, and learners where they're getting better and better as teachers over time and they they're seeing their kids engage and learn and be successful in the world as the ultimate motivator so what we developed there was a model where teachers came together regularly it ended up being about 8000 meetings a month where teachers would come together about 200000 teachers at the end of when i led it learning together looking at new practices that made them better teachers and engage kids better but also sustain their motivation and boost their motivation at the same time so that double whammy type effect as well in that, that process and what the, the most exciting part of this we learned was that governments also wanted to make a difference of course it was their education systems their countries we gave this approach uh, to governments for them to run and started training governments rather than running these networks of teachers ourselves and that's how we got to the 35,000 schools and 7 million kids you mentioned. So huge amounts of learning about how do you motivate people at different levels starting with the child but then going up to the teacher and then to the principals and officials who work in education systems. It's just beautiful and I'm not sure so I'm going to ask is the project continuing even though you're no longer at its helm? Very very much and we actually were able to get the CEO uh, of ActionAid one of the biggest sort of NGOs in the world to to, to take over at Girish Menon who's been an amazing leader. um i'm sure it'll go to many millions more kids and go from there i just felt as i've been running for 10 years there was a risk of founders and you know if i stay too long and my passion by getting into this work on motivation i got became really intrigued and my next sort of personal mission statement or calling was to think about applying these lessons to the world more widely and so i love what i do now i work with groups from l'oreal at one extreme to the government of kenya on the other to help them solve and and um Uh, complex motivational challenges in work but also in wider aspects of society and i write and and I talk about these things as well as practically consult and coach to leaders and organizations and so yeah love it but i think stir is going to go to amazing places in the future sure it is and obviously you've been officially recognized for that work in in one very significant way and many other lesser but uh congratulations that is an extraordinary achievement Just before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience about new projects or topics or anything that you're going to be tackling in 2022 that you're finding exciting? 
Yeah, so I, I've been, um, you know, I wrote a book, of course, and I, I love the process. One thing I'm thinking about, I, I want to really explore as a sort of extension of the idea, these, these thoughts around career success, Claire, and how, what our mental models of success are more widely. I think so much depends on that. If we, depending on what those mental models, we might have a very fulfilled life or we might not, as what I'm very happy learning. So how do we shift those mental models and think about success differently? And think about our role versus nurturing others. That's the core idea I'm trying to explore. Um, rather than write a, a sort of book in a traditional way and then share it out, what I'm thinking about is creating a, a community of advocates to learn with and engage with. Mm. And playing with some ideas around that with uh, organizations, but also individuals and members and so on. Yeah, just encourage anyone listening to just follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter, um, Sharath Jeevan on LinkedIn or Sharath Jeevan underscore on Twitter. Please stay in touch. Uh, and I'd love to share that learning and keep growing. And of course, Intrinsic, the book is available on Amazon and other uh, major bookstores around. And we will plug that in writing and do all that important stuff as uh, as we finish up editing this episode. But that sounds really exciting that, that a community might be emerging. Um, we'll be very much looking forward to that. And, uh, and we'll actively do what we can as, as uh, comrades in arms, though perhaps that's not the best expression just today. Um, but kamarad, uh, we'll use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but a huge resonance all your work there on the career side and we'll see if there are, I'm sure there may be ways to collaborate and learn together for sure. Definitely. Well, Sharath, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we could have gone on all afternoon, but uh, I know that when we get to about 30 minutes, the audience starts to get anxious. When's it going to finish? However good it is. So let's let's get you um, off to your next important mission, whatever that may be. And and thank you so much for being with us and sharing such be- beautiful ideas. Thanks, sir. Real pleasure. Thank you. Okay. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this month's guest as much as we did. Do go and check out our work on disrupt-your-career.com and come back soon. Thank you.